the rest of us. Hang in here. Hang in here today. Some good stuff. Good stuff. Hang in here till the end. Good news is at the end, so hang in there. Hang in there with me. Last week, we were challenged to serve others and to always do good to everyone. How easy has that been this week? Anybody been tempted to return evil for evil? Anybody? Just, yeah, a little bit. I know, yeah, myself included. We're challenged to serve the needs of others and to always do good to them. We learned that it is through relationships with others that God offers the kingdom. The free gift of his salvation and everything else. I, I still, I haven't found a place, and please share it with me if you find it, where God performed a miracle that was not through his people. He always involves his people. He loves to cooperate with us. And that's why Jesus has purposed and destined this thing that he calls the church. You and I, his people here on the face of the earth, to continue the good work that he was doing to have relationships we remind there's a spiritual battle at play the things that we go through um you know although we may see the battle through our relationships we know that um, our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against um powers and principalities um you know in in the spiritual realms and so it helped us to not be so petty about things prayerfully not to get so caught up in things that irritate us keeping in mind that there is a far greater, far greater thing at stake that often eternity hangs in the balance. God has put people in our lives for us to lead them to Christ. And of course, that's why the enemy is going to do everything he can to keep our relationships on the rocks and unhealthy. He knows that it's the relationships that we, are, we release the kingdom of God, and so he's going to make sure that our relationships are not good and that um, people think ill of you. It's not about you, it's about who you represent. That helps us to release a lot of hurt, to be healed from the Lord, because it's not about us. It's about him, right? Relationships do not only exist between people, but as we're seeing more and more, relationships, of course, also exist between nations. We see that the strength of Israel's relationships with people who call themselves her allies um, is definitely being revealed. Um, what's happening is understandably causing a lot of people to wonder, is this it? Like, some of us like, yeah, and some, some of us like, oh no, you know, is this the end? Is this the beginning of the end? Because after all, the current war in Israel, it's not military versus military. Um, you know, if, if you're familiar with the news, um, you know, th this is um, civilians that are getting taken out in horrific, horrific ways. Um, harmless, innocent individuals, uh, women, children, infants, they're being horrifically massacred in such inhumane ways. It's almost unimaginable to think that anybody could do such things against any other people. I mean, literally, children and parents being beheaded in front of one another. Um, truly, it's evil and wicked acts are taking place. However, what they're doing is only what their scriptures um, inform them to do. We know where the true battle lies. Um, I don't know if anybody has ever read the Quran. I'm going to quote a lot from it today. So, sorry if I offend anybody, but 
This is what the Quran's written. Quran, by the way, it was written like 600 years after Christ. When you read the Quran, there's a lot of parallels. It's almost like you're reading parts of the Bible, and you're reading about Jesus. He was a prophet, you know, and everything. Um, um, but anyways, this is what their scriptures encourage them to do. Chapter 47, verse 4, when you meet disbelievers in battle, bind them firmly, thoroughly subdue them, and strike their heads, which is why there's beheadings. That's, they're taking this literally, strike their necks. Um, later, if you don't kill them, free them, either as an act of grace or by ransom, until the war comes to an end. In other words, take them as hostages, you know, um, and that's what's happening. Um, so it will be, had Allah willed, he himself could have inflicted punishment on them, but he does only does this only as a test, some of you by means of others, just to test them, to see how faithful they are to Allah. And those who are martyred in the cause of Allah, he will never render their voids deed. Chapter 3, verse 151, we will cast horror into the hearts of disbelievers for associating false gods with Allah, a practice that he has never authorized. Chapter 8, verse 12, I am with you, so make the believers stand firm. I will cast horror into the hearts of disbelievers. So strike their necks and strike their fingertips. And of course, most interpret that as take off their heads, their hands, whatever. And that's what you see happening in the world today. Chapter 33, verse 26, 27, and he brought down... That's Allah, those people of the book who supported the enemy alliance from their own strongholds. He cast horror into their hearts. You believers killed some, took others captive. He has caused you to take over their lands, take over their homes, take over their wealth, as, long, as well as the lands you have not yet set foot on. And Allah is most capable of everything. So that is one of their goals. Take over lands, homes, wealth. Chapter 22, verse 57 to 59, those who disbelieve and deny our revelations, it is they who will suffer a humiliating punishment. That's why you see the acts as they're being carried out. As for those who immigrate, think about our southern border crisis right now, for those who immigrate in the cause of Allah, and then they're martyred or they die, Allah will indeed grant them a good provision, because surely... Allah is the best provider. Chapter 3, verse 157. Should he be martyred or die in the cause of Allah, then his forgiveness and mercy are far better than whatever wealth those who stay behind will accumulate. And I could go on and on and on and on and on. Um, the, the Islamic Muslim faith is, if it's practiced, very violent. Now, to be fair, I've read some pretty violent acts in the Old Testament that God has called his people to act out, even taking out women, children, and livestock, right? That happened in one instance. So whenever you see these things happening, the U.S. calls them terrorists, and really it's accurate because that's what their scriptures have called them to do, to invoke terror, fear, horror into the lives of others. But this is why democracy will never work. You can't reason and rationalize and sit down and, and, and come to some kind of agreement of peace or ceasefire or anything. It will never work with these groups, and these groups are never going to stop until the very end. Because of this, no, we can politicize these acts, but the reality is they are religious and spiritual in nature. They are, and they're not shy about it. They call it a day of jihad, their religious war on Friday the 13th, right? I mean, they're not shy about what they do. They're very bold and public about it. They're not afraid of it or ashamed of it or trying to sugarcoat it. They say what they're doing. So these are not simply an attack from a nation or some little terror network. Um, the reality is when you look at a map, over 90% of the Middle East are Muslim, well over 90%. And they can't stand the fact that in the middle of this huge geographic area, 
of, of Islam, there's this tiny little group of people that just won't stop. This Jewish state, these people called Israel, that you just can't keep them down. Now granted, they have been removed before, but we, we read about this in the Old Testament, right? Every single time, there's always that little remnant and they cry out to God, and God brings them back from the northeast, south, the west, and creates a nation once again. Because that is their land. And Allah can say whatever he wants to say and tell people to do whatever they, they want to do. But God has ordained that land as God's own people. And as, as Paul wrote, it's a mystery, but they're going to be saved. So it's just interesting. And it's kind of um, <laughs> funny because you, you can just see that God's faithful. And his word that he wrote thousands of years ago, it's still alive and active today. <sighs> but the Quran, the Bible of the Muslims, it teaches them to perform these acts. And we see this over and over and over again. Sure, there are absolutely peace-loving, non-violent Muslims. There are. There are. I personally would equate them who call themselves Christians, but they don't really live it out, right? Those are extreme Christians, right? You know, extreme Christians who stand on the word, to reach out to the lost, to publicly pray for people to be saved, healed, and delivered. You know, those, those extremists that live out their faith the way that Jesus did, right? I mean, it's similar, you know? But we've already seen a preview of these kind of things happening in the U.S. The, the terror, right? I mean, you know... It, anyways, you see in the United States, there are actually groups of people who are... Um, celebrating, you know, the Palestinians and the Palestinians and what they're doing and um, denouncing Israel defending herself. You're seeing these things play out. Um, and we've actually seen a little preview as well about um, Christians being labeled as, as extremists and terrorists, right? You know, uh, those parents that stood up in school board meetings that that were not okay with, um, you know, the opposite biological gender being in their restroom and in their changing rooms. Um, the U.S. labeled them as domestic terrorists. Um, the same with, you know, the Catholic groups who take a stand against abortion and other Christian groups as well. Um, you know, that we in the United States of America who are covered by constitutional rights to these things by being extreme and practicing and speaking out your faith we were actually labeled in the United States of America domestic terrorists. It's, it's, it's happened in our world. It's crazy. So you see all these things happening. And, and we're reminded of Jesus' words. We go back to the words to try to understand what is happening in our world today. Um, and Jesus said, and we started in Matthew 24 last week. We're just going to continue it into 24 and 25. Jesus said, you hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see that you are not alarmed. So don't go running around like, you know, chicken little with your head cut off. Don't be alarmed. Don't be surprised. Jesus said such things must happen, but the end is still to come. In fact, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against nation. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Are we seeing those things happening? Nation against nation, all kinds of earthquakes. More and more earthquakes, right? You can call it what you want to call it, glo climate change, global warming, because we figured out it's not global warming, so now we call it climate change. And you can label it whatever you want to label it, but the truth is Jesus said it's going to happen. And his word is always true. There's going to be famines, there's going to be earthquakes in all these different places, and we see these things happening in the world today. And Jesus said in verse 8, all these things are just the beginning of the birth pains. 
any of you ladies who have given birth, um, you know, you understand the, the beginning of the birthing pains. It's just the beginning. Jesus said in verse 9, you'll be handed over to be persecuted, even put to death. You will be hated by all nations. How many nations? Does that include the United States of America? If it's still around at that time? That's why I try to separate faith from politics. Us Americans like to kind of combine them and it gets really confusing because you're not always going to be loved by this amazing country. We are blessed to live here right now, blessed to have the freedom that we have right now. That freedom is going to get taken away someday. And we should speak out against it and take a stand against it. But ultimately, at some point, you're going to be standing against Jesus' own words. It's not going to happen. It's going to get taken away. Jesus said, this is all happening in verse 9 because of me. Not, not me, Steve, by the way. <laughs> Jesus speaking. He said in verse 10, at that time, many will turn away from the faith. And that, is, that's, that, that's, that little phrase is what kills me. When these things are happening, I hate to see people losing their faith. I don't want to see people lose their faith. I want to see their faith rise up, right? These are the times. This is your destiny. This is what you're here for, to be a light into the darkness. Jesus said that people betray each other. False prophets will appear. They'll deceive many people. YouTube, there's all kinds of prophets on YouTube. And, you know, there's a lot of false prophecies out there, too. There's a lot of good prophets, and there's a lot of false prophecies. But it's so easy to spread deceit in this world today. He said in verse 12, because of the increase of wickedness. Do we see wickedness increasing? We even see wickedness being called good, protecting wickedness and evil, right? Which the Old Testament said that. People are going to call good evil and evil good. They get all confused and it's just a mess. He said the love of many will grow cold. He said, but the one who stands firm until the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then the end will come. So a lot, of, a lot of missionaries stand on this verse, and they're living it. That's why people like, is it Wycliffe, you know, are translating the scriptures like never before into other languages so that all the world can hear the good news about Jesus. Then the end will come. And then Jesus gives this whole list of signs to be watching for so that we can discern the end of ages. Then he ended with uh, all of this saying to be ready, right? We, said that, we talked about this last week. Jesus said in verse uh, 42, and I'm skipping verse 43 just for time's sake, therefore keep watch because you don't know on what day the Lord will come. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. So okay, the, 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 all these signs and these things are going to happen and we need to be aware of the end times, but what are we called to do? Whether it's the beginning, the middle, the end of the birth pains, what are we called to do? To be ready. Just be ready for it. You don't know when it's coming. No idea. Only the Father knows. Not even the Son or the Holy Spirit knows. He's keeping it a secret from the other two. Why? Because the Spirit tells us everything. And Jesus, he reveals himself fully to us. No secrets between us, right? We have that level of intimacy with the Spirit and with the Son. It's pretty cool to think about. So Father's like, nah, I'm keeping this one to myself. But it's important. It is so critically important to understand the times and the seasons in which we are living. So critically important. That, that's why we, we definitely value prophecy here, um, you know, to understand the times and the seasons in which we're living. 
If it weren't important, Jesus wouldn't have spent so much time giving us all these signs to look for. He wouldn't have revealed to Daniel exactly what's going to happen when. He wouldn't have um, appeared to John, right, while he's locked away on the island and given us the book of Revelation. Jesus gave us all of these things. He wants us to be aware and to be watchful of what time and what season we're in. However, it's just as important that we also know how to respond in this season. What season are you in? Not only you as a church in the worldwide scope, you know, of the prophetic times and seasons, but also you in your life. What time and season are you in? You know, we're, we're in the season of kids growing up to be adults, and adulting's no fun, and adulting adults is no fun, let me tell you, you know. But uh, <laughs> we're learning it together and growing. But you're all in different seasons of life. We're all in different times and different seasons. It's important to know, to keep watch. Jesus told us to keep watch. You know, personally, like, the way that sort of the Spirit kind of revealed it to me is that, you know, me personally, I love stargazing. I love stargazing. You'll catch me on the back deck lots of nights just staring, just staring, and oh, there goes, you know, the the string of satellites again, and, you know. (laughs) But just, um, it's amazing. It's just amazing to see what God has created. And to realize that although everything changes, yet he stays constant. The stars are so constant that, you know, we're looking at the same sky that, you know, ancients looked at. And you you can navigate the entire ocean by the stars. It's just cool how constant some of these things are. I can get lost in it. Just lost and just staring at the sky and just loving, you know, what God has created. But it's also important to get back to our everyday life. You know, to get back into the house, back into uh, living out our faith in the here and now. Living out our purpose and, and our, um, yeah, our purpose that God has created us for on it. It's very easy to get caught up in the end times. And if you've ever listened to like Pat Robertson, you know, I mean, the end times, they, they're always coming right here and right now. And it's so easy to get caught up in these things as believers, and it's exciting. But it's important to also live out our faith how we respond, how we respond in the here and now. And Jesus calls us to be ready. Then he goes on with the parable about it, right? Matthew chapter 25. Jesus said, At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom! Come out and meet him! Then all the virgins woke up, trimmed their lamps. But the foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil! Our lamps are going out! No, they replied. may not be enough for the both of us. Instead, go out to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later on, the, all, the other ones also came out. Lord, Lord, they said, open up the door for us. He replied, truly, to, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. There's so many things we can take away from this parable and these scriptures you know, like, you know, a common saying, especially in these uh, times that you have no idea what's going to happen economically, worldwide, um, you know, that 
to prepare like the end's never coming, but to pray as if though it's here and now, you know? To kind of live <coughs> in the here and now, but with foresight. You know, to be prepared for the worst, but to expect the best. To live prepared, but hopeful. You don't prepare out of fear. You prepare just to be prepared. So that there's no area in your life for fear. Okay, so if your pantries are like full stocked, that doesn't mean you're that people are afraid. It just means they're ready, just in case. You know, got that big old generator and everything, because you just never know. Don't do it out of fear. Live in hope and faith, but be prepared. And you know, it's one of the things that we can take away from that. But I believe that God wants to bring something else out of this parable for us this morning. And so for simplicity's sake, we're going to make a far less common analogy Viewing us not as the virgins in the parable or anything else, but viewing ourselves actually as the lamps, as the lamps. We want to be ready in every season at all times for the return of Jesus. Whether we get raptured home or we kick the bucket and he takes us or he destroys the elements by fire and creates a new heaven and a new earth. They're all going to happen at some point. And I don't know which one I'm going to experience, but no matter what, I want to be ready for it. Whether I take my last breath this moment, I just watched our little puppy dog take her last breath the other day. It's like, it, it's sad. But I was asking Jesus to take it because she just laying her sleeping. She wasn't doing anything else. She was way old and, you know. But I want to be like that when Jesus comes to take me. I want to be living at peace. I want to be found doing the work that he's called me to do until the very end. That's how I want to be found, right? We want to be ready. And thankfully, there are some constants that Jesus gave us that enable us to be ready no matter the time or season. Regardless of the time and season, these things are things we are always called to be doing. And he revealed them very clearly through the lamps of this parable. He has called us to be dark, I don't know, to be filled, to stay trim, and to burn bright. Be filled, stay trim, burn bright. Our lives are just like the lamps here in this parable. We're created to be filled. That's right, you're full of it. Your spouse is right, right? You're full of it. Now, what you're full of, that's what you choose. You choose what to fill your life with, right? That's up to us. God's intent is that we would be full of him, through the Holy Spirit, just like the oil of a lamp. That oil of his anointing through the Spirit. That's why Ephesians 5.18 tells us not to be drunk with wine. I love the way the New Living Translation puts it, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, when we're saved, we all receive the Holy Spirit. The moment you choose to put your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation... You receive the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians teaches us that. He has anointed us. He has set his seal of ownership on us. Just like a ring when you're married. You are his. He has sealed you. You know, Daryl did a, a thing not long ago with the wax seal, you know, to, to show what those look like. It's so cool, you know. That wax seal. We are sealed. We are his. His seal of ownership. And he also put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come you've got the holy spirit but just like a bank account it can hold more than that initial deposit right 
That's why all through the scriptures, even in the Old Testament, Old Testament and New, the way that God's word describes the Holy Spirit is that we are filled. We are to be filled with the Spirit. There's a reason that language is used. If the Holy, if the Holy Scriptures are telling us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then guess what that means? You, you can be empty of it too, right? David cried out over and over again, don't take your spirit from me. We go through dry seasons and we need an infilling, right? Just fresh wine, you know, just go on and on and on about this. And I wanted to teach about this like only, but God wants us to move on, but it's, oh, it's so cool to be filled with the Spirit. And we see evidence of this. We see that although all believers were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, right? They were all filled with the Spirit. All believers. We also see that Peter was filled again with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 4 while he was testifying. The Holy Spirit filled him again. We see they were filled with the Spirit once again in Acts chapter 4 after that testimony when they were praying together. When they were praying together, it said that, the Holy, that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and that place was shaken once again. Whew! Good old church services, you know? I, I, I don't know about you, but when I read through the New Testament church services, I see Pentecostal services. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be like the five who let their lamps run low. Stay fueled up, right? Stay fueled up. But how? How do you stay filled with the Holy Spirit? What does that even mean? Well, think about this. For someone to be, um, uh, well, yeah, I guess I use that analogy first, right? I didn't even put it. When you're running low on fuel, you, you either got to go to the store and buy it, right? Which we all kind of feel that way when we go to buy fuel these days. Or back in the day, I'm not saying you should do this, but you could borrow it from a neighbor, right? Now they got anti-siphon things in your tank. What is that about, you know? Everybody needs to experience once in their life a mouthful of fuel, you know? And you know how your car feels and everything. You know? <laughs> Anyways. But you, you know, and, and you have to fill it up. You got to put it in there. Whenever somebody wants to be drunk on wine, right? Like Ephesians gives us that analogy. You either got to go to the store and buy it yourself, or you got to go hang out and drink with a buddy, right? And take it from them. And then you got to consume it. You got to drink it in. Um, the Bible reveals that there's two ways that people are filled with the Holy Spirit. Either through prayer when you are seeking after him yourself, go into the storehouse, right? And I encourage all y'all to have a fervent prayer and worship life, uh, hungry for the word of God, where you're going to the storehouse. Or, we also see in the scriptures, by the laying on of hands that someone's already filled. It's, it's more fun to, to drink with others than it is to drink alone. I'm just saying, it just is, right? And we see this in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 4, in Acts chapter 10. People were together just seeking after God, and he filled them with the Holy Spirit. They were asking for it. They were seeking after him. They went to the storehouse. We also see then in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter, uh, in Acts chapter 8, the infilling of the Holy Spirit happened when Peter and John laid hands on them. As soon as they laid hands on them, they were filled with the Spirit. In Acts chapter 19, it was through the laying on the hands of Paul. These people, they were, they were brand new believers. They're like, we believe and we were baptized. They were water baptized. And, and then Paul's like, well, have you heard about baptism of the Holy Spirit? And they're like, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit, you know? And he's like, oh yeah. <laughs> Laid hands on them, boom, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know, they started speaking in tongues and prophesying and praising God. So whether going straight to the storehouse or kind of borrowing from a friend, that impartation, those receiving the infilling of the Holy Spirit 
they had to be willing to receive it. God never forces anything on you. Never forces anything on you. He's not going to force himself on you. That's not love. God is love. We have to be hungry and thirsty for it. We have to want it and desire it. And he will not let us down. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, he will fill you with the Spirit. And he wants you to be filled just like those lamps filled with oil. So we're called to be filled. Next, we're called to stay trim. I hate when the doctor tells you you need to do that. Um, does anybody else ever get that testimony? Cringe going to the doctor because, all right, Tubby, you could lay off the ho-hos a little bit, you know? I mean, I mean, that's what I hear when the doctor says it. I don't know if that's really what he says, but, you know, <laughs> stay trim. I, and I, I've got one at home. I didn't bring it a kerosene, one of those old kerosene lanterns, you know, the old-timey ones with the wick. What happens are, you know, when we used to go camping, we, we had those camping la- lanterns, um, we'd use them. But what happens, or even just at home with your candles, whenever you burn a wick, it gets all charred and frayed, and, and it doesn't burn right. It doesn't burn the same. Um, you've got to trim it. You have to literally cut it. Cut, cut all that soot and all that fray and everything off so you can light it, and it burns bright once again the way that it's supposed to. You've got to, you've got to trim it regularly to keep that flame burning in the right shape and as big and bright as it possibly can. There are times, even if the lamp is full of oil, that you can't even light it because that wick is just too charred or too short or too long and it's not getting the oil flowing out of it correctly, right? We we don't want to be constipated believers when it comes to the Holy Spirit. We are filled to overflow, right? We're filled to overflow, In the same way, we need to not only be filled with the Spirit, but we need to cut out of our lives all sin and immorality. You've got to cut it out, okay? That's what Jesus is telling us here. He's not going to force us to stop doing things. I've asked him. He won't do it. (laughs) We've got to make the choice. That's why there's a blessing when we choose obedience, right? And there's so many scriptures. I'm just going to read a few. Colossians chapter 3, verse 7 through 8. Um, Paul wrote to the church in, in uh, 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 yeah, to the Colossians <laughs> in, in Colos, oh, anyways, I'm tongue-tied this morning. And he said, you used to walk in all these ways. Read Colossians 3 to get all the ways. In the life that you used to live. But now, now, in this time and in this season, you must rid yourselves of all these things. Of anger, rage, malice, slander. And filthy language from your lips. We're not even supposed to have coarse joking. Now, Christians never swear and curse, do they? The Bible doesn't say anything about that, does it? No, you're supposed to get rid of it. All filthy language from your lips. Supposed to get rid of it. So let's do it. Let's just get rid of it. Turn that stuff off. James chapter 1, verse 20, 21. Human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent in the world... Instead, humbly accept the word that is planted within you that can save you. Hebrews 12, 1, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. So let us throw off, throw it off, everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles us so we can run with perseverance. Romans chapter 6, verse 11 to 14, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. Okay, that old person's dead and gone. Count yourself dead to sin but alive in Christ Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your body. Don't obey its desires. 
Don't offer any part of your body as an instrument of wickedness. It's an interesting way of thinking about it, right? Offering your body as an instrument of wickedness, you know? Like a tool, a hammer, literally an instrument. That's what you're choosing to do. You're offering your body up. But rather, offer yourselves to God, the one who has brought you from death to life. Offer every part of yourself to him so that he might use you as an instrument of righteousness. Holy Spirit, putting you to use. Because you're going to be full of one or the other. Sin or righteousness, we choose. For sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law but under grace. Don't offer yourself as a slave to sin. And there's tons of other scriptures. But, but over and over again, God doesn't say, oh, just let me take care of that for you. God says, get rid of it. Stop it. Don't do it. You've got a choice in the matter, and he's not taking that choice away from you. There's only one way to deal with sin in our lives, and that's to trim it. Cut it. Cut it out. Get rid of it. It's the only way to do it. That's why Christ likens it to this wick. You know, you, you can try to take that charred, twisted, frayed wick and squeeze it together and try to clean it as much as you can. But what happens when you try to do that? You just get dirtier, right? And it still doesn't work right. You still can't light it. It still doesn't burn right. There's only one way to deal with it. That's to cut it out. Get rid of it. Crucify it. That's what the scripture tells us to do, right? Crucify that old self so that righteousness can reign. Okay, enough on that one. So stay trim. Then last, burn bright. Burn bright. We all know the scripture. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world. Who's the light of the world? Point to your neighbor. You are. You, 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 right? You are the light of the world. That's what the light of the world said. The light of the world said that you're the light of the world. I love it because in our Western culture, we don't think that things can be this and that. We think it has to be that or that. No, only Jesus can be the light of the world or we can be. No, you both are. He's the one you're reflecting. We're going to see here soon. Neither, okay, so a town on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. That's, that, I don't know about y'all, but that's how I put my candles out. I put the lid back on, right? What happens to a lamp when you cover it? Yeah, it goes out, right? Because we're, we're all my scouts at. What three elements do you need for fire to, to exist? You, know, you, need, you need oxygen, you need air, you need fuel, some kind of a source, and heat. You, you take away any one, any one of those things, and you don't have fire. You don't light a lamp and then put it under a bowl, it'll go out. There's no such thing as a private Christian. There is no such thing as a private Christian. If your faith is not public, then you've already snuffed out your light. And you're going to be like those other five, um, the, the, those other five virgins. They're like, hey, Lord, I'm here. He's like, I don't know you. You snuffed yourself out. Didn't keep yourself filled. Didn't keep yourself trim. You were off doing other things. It just doesn't work. If you don't believe me, just read through the scriptures. I mean, there's nothing private about the lives of people who follow Jesus. You're going to be like your master. You're a student who's going to be like your teacher. You're either going to do those things or you're not. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 
See, people like to use the scripture of don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Just keep all your, your good deeds hidden so that you'll be rewarded by your Father who's in heaven. But what was Jesus talking about there? What was the subject of those verses? Pride. If you're going to boast in yourself with your good deeds, then yeah, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing because you're fooling yourself. That's the context of that scripture. The context of all the other scriptures are let people see the good work that Jesus has done in your life, through your life. Let them see, let the people know so that they may glorify your Father in heaven. The whole goal of staying filled with his spirit and trimming sin and moral filth of our lives is so that we might burn brightly for him. We don't want anything to hinder our witness for Christ. We don't want to be a misshapen flame that looks all weird and distorted and hypocritical, right? As much as it's possible for us, we want to be good witnesses for him. We want to reflect his light. We want to shine him. So when people see us, they see him. No, you're not going to live a perfect life. You're going to sin. But that's when we don't hide our sin and shame. We publicize it too. Then the enemy got no hold on you, and God can just do a good work, right? You let it all shine before others, and, and people can see that you're not perfect, but you serve a God who is. And he's able to do something even through your imperfections. Even through your sin, he's able to work it together for good. Then he's able to see something, you know, they're, they're able to see something that they want and desire. They're going to ask you the reason for the hope within us. We want to be like a lighthouse, right? A lighthouse that leads people straight to Christ in the middle of this dark and stormy and evil and wicked world. You know, I'm reminded of Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, and I don't know who he was quoting, because I know he was quoting somebody at the very end when he, he grabs the everlasting gobstopper and he says how bright shines a good deed in this darkening world. You get to shine bright so easily. Why? Because we ain't living in the 50s anymore where everyone just gets up and goes to church and everybody lives a good moral lifestyle. And, you know, we just leave it all to Beaver. I mean, we're not living in that culture anymore. And I'm kind of glad because you shine brighter because you're not like the world. And it's very obvious. You're not like them. You shine bright in this dark world so that you can lead people to Christ. Second Corinthians, well, you're already seeing it here. In the, uh, again, we got to go to the Passion Translation. It's so good. So good. If you don't have a copy of it, just grab it online. It's free, but I love the way the Passion uh, translates. And a lot of times it is pretty accurate, more accurate than other translations. But Paul wrote here in 2 Corinthians, he said, We can all, we can all draw close to him. Everyone can draw close to Christ. He hasn't moved. He hasn't gone anywhere. Who goes rushing off into sin? We do. He hasn't moved. He hasn't gone anywhere. We can all draw close to him. And I love this picture. With the veil removed from our faces. And you got to go read through the Old Testament to understand the fullness of this, this, you know, Moses, he would be in the presence of God. He was in the glory of God. And his face would shine afterwards. He didn't put a veil over his face. Because he was shining so bright and freaking people out. Do you know why Moses put a veil over his face? Because that glory faded. Just like the oil in the lamp. The longer that he, Moses, chose to not be in the presence of God, filled with the presence of God, that glory would start to fade. 
he wore a veil so other people wouldn't know that he was just plain old Moses again. He needed to get back in the presence. He needed filled again. He was running low. It was an Old Testament principle. It's a New Testament principle as well. Not only was that veil, you know, anyways, it, uh, there's so many analogies. It's probably a whole message series there. Anyways, but we have no shame. There's nothing you need to be ashamed of. Tear off that veil that you put over your face so that other people don't judge you, right? Tear that thing off. You can go straight into the presence of God. We can draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces and with no veil, then we become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We're being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. We're going from glory to glory. We're not shrinking back, right? We're not ashamed. We're going from glory to glory to glory. And, and then it goes on and says, and this glorious transfiguration, it all comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so as we leave here and we live our lives, remember these three things from these lamps that we are called to do. Be filled with the Spirit of the living God. Be filled. If you're feeling dry in life, if you're feeling distant from God, you need an infilling. If you're feeling like you're on the top of the world, you still need filled with the Spirit of God. There's always more in the kingdom. And he is not a begrudging father. He is a very generous father. And he will pour out into your life more than you contain. Just like David said, my cup overfloweth in the King James, right? That ought to be you. Your cup ought to be overflowing. Stay trim. It's up to us to trim those things out of our lives. The Spirit will empower you. The Spirit will enable you. He will never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And every single time that you're tempted, he will make a way out. Why? So that we're without excuse. Let's be honest. I don't want to say it. I don't want to believe it. But it's just the reality. We are without excuse for continuing to bow down to master sin. To being slaves to sin. We're without excuse. It's on us. Sooner we can admit that. Anybody ever go through the 12-step program here? Sooner you can admit that. You got a problem. And you can't fix it on your own. Jesus will come in and rush, rush in and save the day. He'll always make that way out. And he'll be like, woo over here. Exit sign. Over here. Come on. You can do this. You know, he does it. He's faithful. Stay trim and then burn bright. Burn bright. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of your weaknesses. That's where he's strong. Don't be ashamed of your struggles because that's where God's deliverance is going to be revealed. Just don't be ashamed of anything. Don't be ashamed of your past. It's part of your story. It's part of who you are. You're not that person anymore. So don't be ashamed of it because that's not you. You're a new creation in him. Sometimes... I think sometimes it would be healthy if we spent our mornings looking in the mirror and telling ourselves that. You aren't who you used to be. You're a new creation. This is a new day. There is a new glory that you are entering into. There's a new grace this morning. Brand new, fresh start. Today's the day the Lord has made. Today. It's new. It's fresh. I don't have to repeat the mistakes of yesterday. And I don't have to live there. I don't have to carry that shame into today. I can let it go. 
You're a brand new creation in him. All right, so be filled, stay trim, burn bright. The altar team is here to minister to you. The altars are open if you just want personal private time between you and the Lord. But this is a place that has been purposed for the presence of God so that you have an encounter with him. Not just an emotional experience, but you have an encounter with the one true living God. So let's just close in prayer. Jesus, we thank you for making a way where there was no other way. You're our pioneer. You're the author of my faith. You started a good work in me, and you're going to see it through till the end. So Holy Spirit, give me a hunger and thirst for you. Not the things of this world anymore. Those things of the world that I go running to, make those things taste so nasty in my life. Give me a hunger and thirst, a craving for you, Holy Spirit, your presence in my life. Help me, help me, Lord, to trim sin out of my life. Give me the strength and the courage to do it. To trim this wick of a life so that you, Lord, can burn bright through me. So that your glory can shine unhindered through my life. So that those around me know who you are in all of your fullness and glory, Lord. I can't do it on my own. I need you. I need you to do this work in and through my life. And I thank you for promising to do it. You are faithful in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, so have some fun out there doing these things, especially getting filled. If you don't know how to get filled with the Spirit, just find a drinking buddy and, you know, we'll, we'll lay on hands and we'll have some good times together. Woo! <laughs> thank you and be blessed.